Yes, we are in a series we've entitled A Generous Life. And last week, I gave you a challenge to text your story or testimony of you being generous to other people. This, this is important because what we want to do is spur people on to do good works and be generous. And I want to continue that this week. So if you look at the screen, you'll see that there's a phone number on the screen. If you haven't taken a picture of that particular number or you haven't written that down somewhere, we want you to do that right now because it's an opportunity for you to do something generous this month. And if you can remember to text your story, your testimony of how God used you to be a blessing to others. We've been doing that this past week, and I just want to share with you a couple of things that people have texted to us. I'll just share with you a few. Uh, one of those is that I bought dinner to a friend I knew wasn't feeling well. Easy way to be a blessing to somebody. Here's another one. I just gave money to a man who needed it for lunch outside the Wawa. It felt good to be generous. I've got another one here. This one's a little longer, but I love it. It says, as I stood in a long line at the grocery store, I noticed that the cashier was confused and struggling to ring up items. The lady in front of him impatiently said, call your manager. <laughs> you have probably seen that before. He did, and the cashier was embarrassed. I went back into the aisles. I picked out a greeting card for him, purchased it and then went back to my car and put money in it, then went back in to give it to him. He was shocked in a good way. I now give away greeting cards to strangers with kind things on it, then include our church website and a few dollars. This is fun. Simple way to be a blessing. And I believe that God wants to challenge us to be generous as we walk through this series. I'm hoping that this becomes a part of our culture here at Central. Once again, I did say that being generous is one of the values of our church. And so we want to encourage people to be generous. You know, there's something pure and beautiful about being generous and about giving. There's nothing more beautiful than a wedding and an extravagant reception. Maybe you've been to one of those things, right? Uh, it's expensive, too, uh, to have a wedding in New Jersey. If you go on to the website, um, it's called The Knot. It's a wedding planning website. You'll find that they have reported that it costs about $55,000 to have a wedding in New Jersey. Yeah, it's pretty expensive, right? That's probably the most expensive gift any couple will ever give you. I call it a gift because you know that it's a free meal and it's a paid-for party. Yeah, it's a good time. Well, sort of. You know, not really, right? Because there's sort of an expectation that you're going to give them a gift unless you're either the DJ or a photographer or you're playing a specific role in that wedding. Sometimes wedding couples put together a wedding registry so that you can go online and see exactly what they want, right? They want to make it easier for you to be a blessing to them. It's not that they don't love you and you don't love them, but there's sort of an unspoken exchange that's taking place during that wedding. Now, most weddings are pretty 
inexpensive in terms of having the service and the venue. It's the banquet that costs lots of money. It's the reception. It's that meal that hits you in the pocket if you're looking to plan a wedding. Well, there was one wedding that, you know, for the most part, anybody could show up to that I officiated. See, most weddings you have to be invited to show up at. But this one wedding that I did, anybody could show up and watch this wedding. It was because the wedding was on a public beach. Yeah, not too long ago, I officiated a wedding at a New Jersey, on a New Jersey beach, and when we got there, there were literally thousands of people on the beach. It was a hot, sunny day, and there, were, there all the people were sort of sprawled out on their beach towels. They had their coolers. They had their beach umbrellas up, and there I was standing there with this hot black suit on, you know, the, t- the chairs are all lined up in rows right there on the beach, about 50 yards from the water itself. I started officiating the ceremony, and people came in. They, they were dressed in their formal you know, garb on for the wedding. I remember watching the bride come down the sandy aisle. I continued to go through the service, and as I'm talking to the groom and the bride, giving them their charge, I started hearing the people behind me They're like, amen. They're like chiming in. They're like, preach, brother. So I started leaning into it a little bit. I'm like, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. I started getting it. Next thing you know, I'm preaching a sermon right in the middle of their wedding. It was a wonderful thing. At the end of the service, I said, you may now kiss your bride. And then all of the people on the beach just sort of erupted, you know, in this cheer and applause. They're dressed in Speedos and two-piece bathing suits. Covered with suntan lotion. They're like, yeah, they're excited. All the people begin to make their way that was in the wedding onto the boardwalk to the restaurant that was right there on the boardwalk, this beautiful venue. But some of the people on the beach came up to me and they were like, hey, what's your name? They were like, hey, what church do you go to? Man, this was great, you know. And I started talking to them, having a conversation with them a little bit. And I really wanted to say, you know what? Why don't you just come and join us? You know, sit around the table with me, enjoy this food and this banquet. But I knew I couldn't do that. There's no way I could have invited people, you know, dressed the way they were dressed to come and and eat this meal. It doesn't really work that way. Wouldn't have been fair to the groom or the bride for me to do something like that. But when I read the scriptures, I find that God does invite us to a banquet. And guess what? You don't have to RSVP either. He says, come as you are. He doesn't have this, any expectations from you. He just wants to give you what he has. And today we're going to look at a, a passage of scripture where we see that God does everything necessary for you to be at his table. In this message that I've entitled, an open invitation, an open invitation. Today, we're going to look at the kind of generosity that Jesus requires of us. So what does that look like? How does God want us to behave? We're going to find out today. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you, God, for this opportunity that we've been given to study your word. God, we ask that you would help us to not only be 
hearers of your word, but be doers also. Amen. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, I want to encourage you to dive in to this passage with me this morning. At this point in Jesus' life, he has now been preaching, he's been teaching, and he's healing. The religious leaders of that community started becoming insecure about their status in the community. Jesus became a threat to him. But in this passage of Scripture, we find that Jesus was invited to a dinner. And he's invited by the leader of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they were this religious sect of of, uh, Jews who maintained a strict adherence to the laws of Moses. They also created their own laws so that you don't break the laws of Moses. Jesus now steps into the house of this Pharisee, and he notices right away that there's a man already present there, and he suffered from this disease called dropsy. Uh, This disease caused a fluid buildup in the body. He knew that this was sort of a trap because it was the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, you weren't supposed to work. It's a trap because they believe that Jesus would heal this man, and healing somebody in their mind was actually working. And just as they thought, just as they predicted, Jesus heals this man. And before they can even start to chastise him about his behavior, Jesus asked these Pharisees a question. He says, which one of you would not rescue your son or an ox if they fell in a well on the Sabbath day. They were all silent because they knew the answer to that question, that they all would rescue their son or an ox if it fell in a well on Sabbath day. Well, they quickly moved to the table, and these prideful men began to rush to the most prominent seats around the table. And then Jesus now begins to give them a message on being humble. He now begins to minister to them. At this point, it's obvious that Jesus is not trying to win over new friends. He's sort of insulted everybody at this point. If the tension were not great enough already, Jesus tells the host that he now has invited the wrong guest. Look at what he says, Luke chapter 14, verse 12. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. Jesus now explains that the host, the leader of the Pharisees, should have expanded his invitation list to include the main, the blind, these people who would have no means to be able to repay you back. See, the Pharisees would only invite people who were rich or people that they knew would eventually return the favor. But Jesus says, no, that's not what you should do at all. Sometimes we can tell when someone is giving us a gift, and it's not really a gift. They seem like they're being generous, but they're not really being generous at all. Some of you probably have received a phone call before 
And this stranger tells you that you have won a gift. They've got something for you, right? And when they call you up and they say, hey, you've won this vacation to the island of Mexico, you know, island down in Mexico somewhere, right? You, you, you immediately do what? You hang up the phone, right? That's because one day you actually picked up the phone and you actually listened to the spiel, right? And you found out quickly that there was something that you needed to do. At the end, they're like, get your credit card. We got, you got to pay for something. You're like, wait, what happened? That was me. You know, someone called me at the house, and they were like, listen, you, you have won. And I thought, man, I really, and he's talking about a free vacation somewhere. And I was like, this is great. I'm spending 45 minutes on the phone. Next thing you know, I have my credit card laid out. I'm thinking all I have to do is pay the taxes for this trip. All I need to do is pay this one-time only fee, and my wife walks in the door. She's like, wait a minute, who are you talking to? I'm like, man. You, don't, you would never believe this. This guy is calling me with this one-time only special promotion just for me. My wife's like, hang up the phone. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, no, hang up the phone. You've got the credit card out. It's not free. I hung up the phone because I realized, you know what? It wasn't free at all. See, this leads me to my first point, and that is that if we're going to be generous... We need to be generous with no strings attached. Yeah, no strings attached. If we're going to be true followers of Jesus, God requires us to love others with no strings attached. Jesus was the perfect example for this. He loved us. He gave us this self-sacrificing, unconditional love. Yeah, that's the way he loved us. And if we would hold our generosity based on whether or not people are going to behave a certain way in return, it's not generosity at all. Some of you might know someone in your family or a friend that will withhold their generosity, their affections for you until they believe that you're going to return the favor. Yeah. And when they give you this thing, when they help you out or when they give you a gift, you're thinking, man, this is wonderful. These are wonderful people. What a generous thing to do. And it does feel good when you receive that thing. But over time, they might ask you for something. Yeah, but hey, can you do something for me? And you might say, you know what, let me think about it. Let me check. And then all of a sudden, there's a string attached to it. And here's how you know it's a string attached. It's going to be uh, this statement that says, remember when I did that for you, right? Remember I hooked you up? And all of a sudden, you start to think, wait a minute, I thought you were being generous. And it's like, no, there's some strings attached to this one. Sometimes people are in relationships for years, and there's strings attached. It's not really love or generosity. It's a transaction. Yeah, people are in relationships with each other, and I call it really more like a, um, I would say, an arrangement, right? You're really in an arrangement, not truly loving each other, because it's about me hooking you up, and then you hook me up. Here's how you know whether or not you're in an arrangement or whether you're in a, re a relationship with your loving each other. It's when you're in a relationship and there's no strings attached. You don't always feel like you're on the hook for something. 
Like, did I pay? Did I do this for them too? See, that's how you really know if there's no strings attached. Look at verse 13. It says, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is saying, they might not be able to pay you back, and it should be okay. See, we can't be looking for a repayment from people when we're being generous to them. I ministered to, to you on this last week because God sees you. He remembers what you're doing, and he will eventually reward you. I shared that last week that we have to have an eternal perspective as it relates to our generosity. And so we, we, when we're generous to other people, we have to think in our minds, you know what? God sees me. Whether they ever pay me back or whether they ever do anything for me at all, whether they behave the way I think they're supposed to behave, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to be generous because God has an inheritance set up for me. It's okay. We will never be a loser when we give after the pattern of God's generosity. At this point in the story, Jesus now has everyone's attention around the table. At this point, you could have sliced the atmosphere with a knife. He's insulted the host. He's ministering to everybody. He's turned this dining room table into a classroom desk. Yeah, he's schooling them. And look at what somebody says here, right here in verse 15. He says, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This one guy around the table is like, yo, I need to lighten things up a little bit. I'm going to try to break the tension. And so he talks about being blessed in the kingdom of God. And I believe that the, the men sitting around the table started having this nervous laughter. They're like, amen, brother. We're going to be there in the kingdom, you know. Yeah, that's us. Try to feel good about themselves. Try to puff themselves up a little bit, right? The gentlemen were speaking of the prophecy found in the Old Testament. We find this in the Old Testament about a banquet of the Messiah. We find it in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. If you're online, you can type that in, Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. Because in that scripture, we see that the Messiah will come and prepare a banquet for his family. We see another text in the New Testament in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. You can type that in if you're watching online. Somebody type that into the chat box. Revelation 19, verse 9. That same banquet is described as the marriage supper of the Lamb. They're starting to feel good about themselves, and then Jesus sort of yanks the rug from underneath their self-righteous assumptions. He now begins to share with them this parable, this story. A parable, short, in short, is a, uh, a story that has a timeless principle in it, and it also has a heavenly meaning. Let's take a look at what he says in this parable. He says, then he told him, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who were invited, come, come because everything is now ready. 
but without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, you know, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. I asked you to excuse me. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And then one more. Another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. Jesus now tells this parable or story about a man who now invites a number of guests to his banquet table. In the imagery of the parable, the many who first were invited refers to the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day. These men had the privilege of studying the scriptures. They knew about the promises that, were, that was made to Abraham. They knew about the laws given to Moses. They knew about all of the prophetic pre predictions of the Messiah. Normally, this was just the sort of occasion that people were excited about, that they would be thrilled about. But in this parable, these men are like, nah, I don't think I'm going. I've got some other things that I need to be doing. The first one says, listen, I just bought some land. I need to go take a look at it. The second one says that, no, I, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I need to test my, you know, test this equipment out. I need to test these oxen out, see if they're healthy. The third one says, listen, I just got married. I sure enough not coming to no banquet. When you think about all of those excuses, they're really important elements in people's lives, right? None of those excuses are sinful but they've come up with these excuses. There's nothing wrong with evaluating property. See, when you buy something new, it's easy for us to get preoccupied with that new toy or that new thing. So much so that we spend lots of time with our stuff. It ends up becoming a common excuse to doing what God has for us to do. This represents the people who are sort of stuck in their own material wealth their stuff. And so when God has an agenda for us, we have this other thing. We get preoccupied with the material wealth, the investments, all the toys that we play with. You know, testing out one's oxen would have been a good thing during that time. There's nothing wrong with testing out an animal to work the land, right? God rewards hard work. I think he rewards enterprise. God blesses us with a job, right? the job to do well, provide for our families, but sometimes we prioritize our work so much so that we forget what God requires of us. And instead, we're working, 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 and we miss God's invitation. This third person here uh, says, I got to get married, right? Getting married is a good thing. Your family is a good thing. I'll even tell you that your family should be one of your top priorities. Family is a good thing. But the best thing that you can show to your family is your unwavering commitment to Jesus. Because when you put him first, your family can follow after you. And they're following the kingdom of God. They're following Jesus's agenda. When you think about it, God gave mankind all that he needed. 
Because if you go back in Genesis chapter one, you'll see that God gave Adam and Eve land. He gave them a job and he gave them a family. There was nothing wrong with any of those things, but what happened is, is when mankind begins, begins to prioritize the creation over the creator, then there's a problem. We no longer then hear the voice of God when he calls us to do things. And, and unfortunately, there are people out there that when we're generous to them, they don't quite respond the way we think they should. We wrongfully prioritize things. And the reality is that there are people who are out there that will invent all sorts of excuses why they shouldn't show up at the table. The master still has extended this invitation. He's still given his generosity knowing that these people would reject his affection. Yet he still sends out his love to them. You need to know that sometimes people would choose another priority over accepting your generosity, meaning that you might be a blessing to them, you might um, you know, give them something, and they might just say, well, just thank you, but no thank you. They'll just sort of keep moving on, and you have to be okay with that, that sometimes people will reject your generosity. They'll just say, no, thank you, no matter how good that gift is. You got to be okay with it. Look at verse 21. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servants, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. So now in this story, the master of the home extends the invitation he extends the invitation really to the outcast of Israel. The host of the home that heard this parable would have never thought that a master of the home would extend this invitation to anybody. He says, go out to the highways and to the hedges, invite anybody to come in. These Pharisees had been studying Jesus's life and they saw that Jesus was a man who hung out with prostitutes tax collectors, and the most notorious of criminals. He dined with them. Take a look at this passage in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 through 17. He says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus did not sin, but he loved the sinner. And he demonstrated his love for the sinner by caring for them, by being generous to them. So he walked with them. He talked with them. He dined with them. I don't know if you have seen this ad. This ad is called He Gets Us. 
If you watched the Super Bowl, you probably saw this because they had a couple of these ads. There were these commercials about Jesus, and it was all about he gets us. And if I'm honest with you, I looked at these commercials, and maybe you looked at it too, and you thought, man, this is kind of refreshing. Yeah, it was kind of refreshing because it showed that Jesus gets us. Jesus was a man who came and understood the struggles that we went through. He was the one that was near us. See, I don't think Jesus has an image problem. I think his bride has an image problem. The church has an image problem because the church is not reflecting the Savior. And it's not until we begin to recognize that we are supposed to be in the highways and the hedges and that we're supposed to be generous to all people, loving all people, not with strings attached, that we'll start to reflect God. We'll start to be the church that he requires of us. We are people that are supposed to go in the back alleyways to reach people that other people might walk away from. Yeah, that's the church. That's what God requires of. See, God wants us to be a church that loves and is generous to other people with no strings attached and no preconditions. That's the second part in my last point. And no preconditions. Yeah. We want to put preconditions on people when we want to be generous to them. We all have this proclivity. We do. It's a proclivity to sort of pre-qualify people before we're generous you know, to them. Before we give that thing, we sort of look at them and we, we think, hmm, will this person maybe turn out to be a Christian? Right? We look at their lifestyle. We, we try to look at them from head to toe and we're trying to think to ourselves, is this going to be a good candidate to, to love Jesus? And if they measure up to our standard, then we say, okay, I think they pre-qualify. Let me hook them up, right? Unfortunately, that's the thought process of many believers. And when we do that, what happens is that we limit God's invitation. And Jesus is saying, no, I need you to go out to the highways and hedges, and here we are pre-qualifying people. That's a problem. There should be no preconditions. That's because we should believe that the gospel can transform the most notorious of criminals. Yeah, that's our Savior. That's the God that we serve. Look at again at this parable, at this final scripture that I want to read to you. Verse 22, he says, Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Yeah. There's still room. Sometimes we go out into the community, and in our minds, we'll see somebody say, this person's a drunk. This person's a drunk. But God says there's still room. We might know somebody who's addicted to pills, yeah, who's on that stuff. They're out there, but God says, no, there's still room. You might know somebody who's living a sexually immoral lifestyle, jacked up. You know how they're living, but God says, no, there's still room. 
God says there's still room in the house, and he's still sending out his invitation to others. I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, what about liars and cheats and murderers? And God says, yes, there's still room in the house. Are you willing to send that invitation and be generous to other people and not having strings attached and not pre-qualifying people? But God says, no, there's still room. Because when you think about your own life, when I think about my own life, the life that I live, a sexually immoral lifestyle, when everybody else says, man, you're not getting, man, forget it. God said, you're still room. God, God, there's still room for you, Anthony. There's still room for you. And by the grace of God, I, I said, thank you, Lord. And I accepted his invitation. Maybe you did that one day. Where in spite of all your stuff and all your junk, God continue to say to you, there's still room. See, God's love for you is not based on anything that you bring to the table. You don't come to his table with anything. You're invited to his table strictly because of his goodness, strictly because of his kindness, strictly because of his grace. So no matter what you have done, no matter what you've said, whatever you're struggling with, God is saying to you, there's still room. See, the only thing that you need to do is just recognize your hunger and thirst for righteousness. You need to believe that the offer is in fact true. And then you just need to say, yes, I'll come. It's just as simple as that. See, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that means you recognize that you have sinned and you fall short of the glory of God. I came to that point in my life that I knew that no matter how hard I tried, I'd never make it. I continued to fall, and I hungered and thirst for righteousness. Then you have to believe that the offer is true, that Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, paid for your ability to sit at the table in front of a holy God. He does that by dying on the cross for your sins. And he gets up three days later with all power saying, yeah, I paid for your seat at the table. Yeah. He says, there's still room for you. And then the last thing he says is to just say, yes, I'll come. You got to be willing to just humble yourself and say, okay, here I am, Lord. I'll come to the table. Will you accept his invitation today? Maybe God is calling you. You thought you didn't qualify. And God is saying, no, there's still room at the table. Maybe that's for you. I want to pray for you today. And then, I'm going to, then we're going to worship, and then I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, God, because there's still room at the table. Somebody out there today might be struggling. They don't have a personal relationship with you because they don't think they qualify. But God, I thank you, Lord, because you're a God that sees us, loves us enough to pay the price necessary for us to sit at the table with the holy God. God, somebody right now is, is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move, move in a powerful way, God, so that they have heard this message and can look beyond the stuff that they're stuck in and just believe 
that the offer is real. The offer is true. God, they're crying out now, saying, yes, I'll come. God, I just ask that you, by your spirit, would give them the faith and the courage to take steps of faith today. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand on our feet and worship the Lord.